0: Let's pray for today's service once again, and again, ask God to open our hearts. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it continues to speak to us even today. No matter where we are at, Lord God, if we open our hearts and our eyes and our ears, we will hear what the Spirit has to say to the church individually and collectively. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you speak to every heart, wherever they're at, Lord God, all that they're going through, I know just... Talking to some people this morning, there are people who are are suffering emotionally and physically, just going through so much. And we're all at different places in our lives, but we serve one God, one creator, as John mentioned, who created the heavens and the earth and whose kingdom is now and is to come and is watching over us and doing all things for his glory. And so we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the end of John's uh, fourth chapter, verses 31 through 54, in a message entitled The, The Satisfied Servant. I mean, even that title, you might think, Servant, how can I be satisfied as a servant? You might think of yourself as a servant at work or even in the church, which is really what we are, and we call ourselves servants of the Lord. But how can you be satisfied in that? Because if you've been in any type of ministry or just even in life, right, you have this great plan of how things are going to happen, and how things are going to go. And how many of you have had them turn out the way that you expected? <laughs> yeah, right. We're, we're, we're dealing with people uh, as fallen people who aren't perfect and we're not perfect either. And how does God work all those things out? And even in ministry, I, I think those of you that ever served in any type of ministry capacity, right, we, we think we're going to, you know, we're going to start this or we're going to do this, it's going to run smoothly, it's going to be great. You know, I think of when I used to be in the children's ministry, and I thought of this great thing that we're going to do, and all the kids are going to, you know, worship God at the end, <laughs> and, it's, and it, it doesn't always turn out that way. Even as a pastor in, in church, you're thinking, okay, we're going to do this great thing, and, and it, even even in sermons, and and you might say, yeah, I agree with that, Robert. I think it's a great sermon, and it's like I, that thing probably just bombed. I don't know. So I always get, I always, I'm always afraid when I think I have a good sermon because then it's usually not that great. And it's usually when I think, oh, that stunk, and my wife was like, that was really good, and I was like, oh, and peop, that's when more people comment. So, anyways, not that I'm looking for comments. Don't don't do that. I do pray that God speaks to you though. And even in this story this morning that we're looking at, Jesus is going to explain about servanthood and how to be satisfied in that. And it's really, a, a as a, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, it's a culmination of the last two weeks of teaching where he talked about God has a plan for each and every one of his servants in this life. And it, he has a plan and a distinction in this kingdom of God for you and for me. That's one part. And the other part is that we're only going to be ultimately fulfilled in this life when we seek our satisfaction in Jesus Christ himself. All the other things that we put our hopes on and our, and, our, and our desires and our happiness on ultimately will come up short, no matter what it is. It could be a career. It could be people. It could be family, friends. Ultimately, there's a temporary satisfaction, but they all end up falling short. And so even in this morning's message, we're going to find out, well, how do we have satisfaction in the midst of all that craziness, and specifically in ministry within the church? And so I hope even if you're not in ministry within the church right now, you can relate wherever you are in your life. So let's look at um, John chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Now, Jesus had just talked to the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan woman, so a woman that he normally, that the Jewish people didn't talk to. There was a, a, a racial divide there, and, and the Jews looked upon Samaritans differently. And so, if you remember last week or you know this story, Jesus just had this conversation with her and told her that I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And so she runs into the city to tell the people of the city all that had happened to her. And in the meantime, the disciples come back to the well, and that's where we pick up this story, because they had been into town to look for food, because they were on this journey. And so let's look at verse 31. It says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So, again, a little background here. Jesus had just traveled a long way with his disciples, and he was thirsty, as we found out in last week's story, and that's why he was by the well. And disciples went in to get food, and so now they come back with food, and they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And he tells them that I have food to eat that you do not know about. And if you've been with us for a while, you've noticed that all these stories in John, Jesus is talking on another level than most people. They're speaking, they're thinking natural and he's speaking spiritually. That's why the disciples said in verse 33, hey, did who got this guy, who, not this guy, who got Jesus something to eat? I don't want to be disrespectful, but who got Jesus something to eat? Like, nobody has it. And that's why Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish His work. So Jesus is talking about not natural food. He's talking about something spiritual. He's again going to the spiritual level, just like he has on every conversation that we've studied so far through the Gospel of John. If you think of food, though, what could he be talking about? Food in general, if you think on the natural level, what does food do for us? It brings nourishment, satisfaction, substance. It even brings comfort and joy. Right, All those things that if you think about what food does for us. And so if you take it on a spiritual level, Jesus is taking it even deeper than that. The food that Jesus is talking about, he says right here in verse 34, My food are those things that bring me nourishment, substance, comfort, and joy. My food is to do what? It's to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what Jesus is talking about, he says, the thing that brings me substance, uh, nourishment, re-energizes me, brings me comfort and joy, is to do the will of God. Well, what was God's will for Jesus? God's will for Jesus was to come and save the lost house of Israel, the Jewish nation. It was also to come and save Gentiles, so all of us who are not Jewish. It was to come and die on the cross for the sins of the world and then to rise again to defeat death. Those are the things, as we study Jesus' life, that drive him, that give him purpose and give him meaning, give him nourishment, excite him, energize him, bring him comfort and joy and even pain. But this is his food. Jesus was very focused, not only on knowing what his mission was, but to accomplish his will, accomplish God's will. Look at what it says again. In verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is, again, what brought satisfaction to Jesus. He knew his mission, and he was going to do it completely, and nothing was going to get in his way. Let me give you two, two uh, moments in Jesus' w- were life where even something so close to him almost got in his way. Do you remember when he was lost when he was a little kid? His mom and dad took him into Jerusalem, and then their caravan left the city, and they realized, hey, who's watching Jesus? Have you ever lost your kid for a moment? No, I have. It's kind of scary. Have you ever lost somebody else's kid? That's even worse. (laughs) Well, here they lost Jesus in a sense, and so they go back to the city to find him, and he's in the temple where he was supposed to, remember what he said to his mom and dad? He says, why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's business. Even his mother and father were not going to get in the way of his accomplishing God's work for him. Remember what he said to even his closest disciples, Peter. He called Peter Satan at one time. He said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus was focused on his mission that he had to do, and he wasn't going to let family or friends get in the way of what he was called to do. Because if he did, he would not be accomplishing what God has called him in his life. He wouldn't be that ultimate satisfaction, nourishment, comfort, joy, all the things that were tied up in his food, so to speak. Nothing was going to stop it. Just on a personal level, think of the times in your life when family... Friends, have gotten we've allowed them to get in the way of what God has called us to do. Remember, Jesus himself said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And we'll talk about that, just that sense of urgency in the ministry of Jesus Christ in us as well. So Jesus' food was to do God's will and to accomplishment. I don't want us to miss it. This is what nourished him, what drove him. What gave him comfort, what gave him joy, what sustained him, just like regular food does. So that was Jesus' food. Now let's look at verses 35 through 38. And Jesus gives a parable in a way of explaining service to his disciples. He's going to explain this a little more. Look at verse 35. He says, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? So they lived in an an agrarian culture. So they had to plow the fields for four months, and then harvest came. So they had to wait. So he's using that analogy to illustrate his point. He says, do you not say there are four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. And others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So what is Jesus talking about? Again, he's explaining to his disciples the type of service that they're going to need to do. And he's explaining what he's just talked about. My food is to do God's will. So he does this, first of all. He, he gives them an, a, a reminder or tells them that there's no need to wait for four months. Remember, he said, You guys say four months and then there's a harvest? He says, Lift up your eyes now, for the fields are white for harvest. Again, he's talking about what? Spiritually speaking, he's using the physical, something that they're familiar with, to give them a spiritual reality. He says, There's no need to wait in service of God, there needs to be a sense of urgency. And Jesus stressed this in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 4, about the urgency of his ministry. Jesus, obviously being God, knew that he had a short time on this earth. And in John, chapter 9, verse 4, he says this. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Just one example of Jesus expressing the urgency of his ministry. He's saying, it's time to harvest now. He's explaining this to his disciples. And that's in verse 35. In verse 36, he's stressing that the person that is serving in ministry needs to look for eternal rewards. So often, we're looking for that instant gratification. And in ministry, Jesus is saying, no need to look for the eternal rewards. There's going to be satisfaction in service. Obviously, that's the title of this morning's message. But part of that satisfaction is looking for looking down the road for the end, looking down ahead of us, the eternal rewards. You see the servant experiences rewards in the midst of his service, and a lot of the reward is just the journey of being in service have you ever have you ever heard that you know the satisfaction is in the journey, not just in the future, although Jesus wants us to look to the future don't let all the setbacks in ministry or in life, deter you from that. Keep focused and enjoy the journey as you go through it. Look for the eternal rewards. Look at what he says in verse 36. Excuse me, in verse, yeah, verse 36. He says, already he who reaps, so the one who's going out and collecting the fruit, so to speak, is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Part of that, eternal reward is looking forward to that time of rejoicing. If you've served in ministry at any point, or even in life, you know, you don't ultimately see the fruits of your service. Again, I've said this, we always think of teachers, right? They, they, they just pour out their hearts to children, and they don't always see the kids get it, and they probably ne- don't hear thank you enough or that often, but it isn't until the end of that childhood's education that they truly get it. And they, and they get their diploma. And in in some sense, a teacher might feel like, I had a part of that. But they may never hear the kids say thanks. But they can rejoice them, like, I had a part in that. And even in ministry, we may not know the effect we've had on people until we get to heaven. We see that child that we uh, minister to or, or a, fa- a family member, a friend that we may have prayed for. And we see them in heaven. Think of the eternal rejoicing that you will have. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, already he who reaps is receiving wages is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. We look forward to that day. That we will rejoice with loved ones who have gone before us. It's eternal rewards, And I like what Jesus says in, in verse 36 and 37. I read 36 already, but I want to point this out. It's about when you're serving, don't serve alone. He says, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps. So there's two people. Sometimes in ministry, you, you're sowing, you're doing the work, but you don't see the fruit. Somebody else sees that end. Maybe you've been witnessing to a friend over and over again, but, and you never see them come to faith in Jesus Christ but they come to faith in Jesus Christ somewhere else, with somebody else. I don't mind that. I remember praying for my mother and father. I could talk about them because they're not here this morning. Uh, Like, it's so hard to talk to my dad about Jesus Christ and how will he ever get saved? You know, but I just prayed and prayed for like, I don't know, 20 years or something. And then finally somebody sat down and talked to him and he came to faith. You never know. That person reaped, what maybe I was just sowing in prayer. But for me, it's like, I don't care how you save them, Lord, just save them, <laughs> you know. And sometimes that's what it is in ministry and in life is we're sowing and sowing and sowing, and we never see the reaping part, but somebody else does. And that's how God works in the kingdom. We, we work together. That's why we need a community of believers. Somebody sows and somebody reaps. One day you're the sower, and the next day you may be the reaper. So we work together. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's saying, you guys are going to go out and sow, or no, somebody else has sown, and you guys are going to reap. And we'll talk about that right now. So the apostles were building on the foundations of others, if you know the story of the New Testament. Well, who were they building on? The prophets of the Old Testament were proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah comes in Jesus Christ, and the disciples reaped that. They give that message and people start coming to believe in the Messiah. So they were the reapers. But the sowers were the Old Testament prophets and even Jesus himself proclaiming that he was the Messiah. Because everybody that Jesus talked to, they didn't always come to faith. Think of that. Somebody else reaped the harvest. And again, they did not shoulder this burden alone. Sometimes the apostles were the reapers and sometimes they were the sowers. But they were called to continually told to reap and reap and reap. And so now this moves to the next section where Jesus is going to give three illustrations of this sowing and reaping. So he's, he's given them the lesson. He showed them how it's going to be done. And now they see it illustrated in people actually reaping. Where people come into faith in Christ. Look at verse 39. So as the disciples were talking, now look at verse 39. It says this, from the city many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, the woman at the well, remember we started off this morning saying Jesus was talking to her, told him, I told her that he was the Messiah. She went back to the city, told everybody about Jesus, and these men are coming out because they want to see it, and they've heard her testimony, and she said in verse 39, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So the Samaritans now, just thinking of the illustration to his disciples here, the sowing was done by the woman, right? She had given them her testimony. This man had told me everything that I'd ever done. And some of them believed, and some wanted to go see it. Not only that, remember we talked about the Samaritans were familiar with the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So they, too, were looking for the Messiah to come. That was some sowing being done in the past, their religious upbringing. And then Jesus, for two days, talked to them, more sowing, more sowing. And finally, they believed in him, and there's the reaping. Move on to verse 43, as we see the same thing happen with the Galileans. Look at this, after two days... He went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, and having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So here are the Samaritans, another illustration of sowing and weeping, excuse me, the Galileans. These two were Jewish people. They had the religious upbringing of the Old Testament, so they had that foundation. That was... The sowing. And then. They saw all that Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Jesus did a bunch of miracles and signs and they saw that, it says. And so they stayed with Jesus. They had him stay in their town and he spoke to them and they received him because of the signs that he performed back in Jerusalem. So you see the sowing being done in the past and then the reaping. And so the disciples are seeing this, knowing this is how. Servanthood is done. There's sowing and there's reaping. And then the last example here in verses 46 through 54. Here we're going to see this teaching illustrated through the royal official. Look at this. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had gone out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him that he come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So this man knows Jesus is coming, he hears that Jesus is coming, part of that sowing. He heard about Jesus. He heard that Jesus could perform miracles, can heal people. He goes out to meet him because his son is sick. And look what happens. And so Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go. Your son lives. And the man believed the word, and Jesus spoke to him and started off. I believe that word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him, saying to him that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is, again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So this royal official, here's another example that Jesus is, an illustration that Jesus has given his disciples about the sowing and reaping process. Here is a royal official who was probably Jewish. So again, he would have had the religious upbringing himself, similar to the Samaritans and to the Galileans. And as I had mentioned a few minutes ago, some of that sowing in his life is because he had heard about this man named Jesus. He had heard that Jesus had performed the miraculous. He could have even have seen it. He'd heard that Jesus can heal the sick, and he may have even seen it himself, but it never happened to him. So that was all the sowing being done, and the reaping was that he believed the words of Jesus, and he and his household accepted Christ and believed in him, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So three illustrations of sowing and reaping were given to his disciples. So this would sink in with them that, hey, there's there's this whole process of sowing and reaping. So let me ask you now, as we just go to a time of personal application. Let's start with this. Are you eating the right food? you can say, no, I'm not. You should have saw my breakfast. But that's not what I'm talking about. Obviously, we're talking about the food that Jesus is talking about. When his disciples went to him, they said, remember, they said, hey, eat, Jesus. He's like, I have food that you don't know about. You're not going to feed me with temporal things when I have something so much better. So the first thing each and every one need to ask ourselves, what are we seeking in life for that self-satisfaction? Are we looking to Jesus Christ to be our satisfaction? What's your nourishment? What's your substance? What's your comfort and what's your joy? Again, this is why I said this was a culmination of what we've been teaching on the past few weeks. Jesus says, your true fountain of life is in me. Remember he told the woman at the well, I'm going to give you water and you will never thirst again. It's going to well up in you to eternal life. All the other things that you're seeking, remember she had been married five times. He says those things are not going to bring you ultimate joy. They could be temporary, and then they're going to quickly fade. So when I say are you eating the right food, it's really are you serving God obediently? That's the right food. Jesus said his food, the thing that sustained him, the thing that nourished him, the thing that brought him comfort and joy was to do the will of him who sent him. And guess what each and every one of us were created by God to serve him. And until we know that and experience that for ourselves, we're never going to be satisfied. We're going to use we're going to look for every everything, every other thing in this world to satisfy ourselves. And it will satisfy for a while. It could even satisfy for a long time, but in the end it's not what God made us for. I think of when when Jesus said, uh, when he gave the parable and said, "What will a man uh, give?" You know, what's that verse I'm looking for? I know you guys know it. It's about you know, wh- what will a man give up for eternal life? You know, will he seek God and be ultimately satisfied, or will he sell out to have the entire world and lose his own soul? What are what are you eating? What is the food that you're seeking nourishment in, satisfaction, substance, comfort, and joy? Again, I'm going to say that only serving God obediently. He's the fountain of life. He has a plan for your life. And he's the only one that will satisfy you. And even as believers, sometimes we lose sight of that, right? And we get sidetracked. And we're looking for all the other things in our life that, that are thrown at us that are good, but they get us off of what God has called us to do. So are you eating the right food? That's number one. If you are, the second one is this. Do you serve God with a sense of urgency? Do you serve God with a sense of urgency? Remember, Jesus has said, hey, we need to do the works of him while it is day because soon it's going to be night. And I think this is important in our lives that we need to serve God with a sense of urgency, meaning Life is short. We only have a certain amount of time in this world, a certain amount of time with our friends and family and children, and then eternity comes for each and every one of us. We only have this moment in our life once, and then it's gone. It's a a sad reality. But it could also be exciting if you make every moment count for God. So serve with a sense of urgency. Don't think, you know what, I'm going I'm to do it later. I'm going to come to God later. I'm going to serve God in that ministry later. No, let's serve him now. Let's have that sense of urgency because eternity is at stake. And that brings you to my third point, serve with eternity in mind. So even though we, we seize the moment, this opportunity now, no, we do this now because eternity is in the near future. We're going to get those rewards that God has promised to His servants. Again, all that I think of, I think of mothers, you know, because I, I think of um, all that they, the time that they spend on their children. For that, in the future, you'll see the harvest come to fruition. And even, you know, I shouldn't say. I'm sure uh, we, as dads, we have a part in that too. I mean, I'm thinking personally in my own life, so I'm not putting it on you, dads. But build in. We build, we build, we build. We sow, we sow, we sow. And do it because you're thinking of eternity. You're thinking of the long-term uh, payoff. Serve with eternity in mind. Bring people to eternal life is our reward. We should, again, mention to my parents, I'm going to rejoice with them for all eternity because they came to the Lord. And, again, I had a little bit of sowing and somebody else reaped. But we think about the eternity we think about the future. Fourthly and lastly, serve along with others. Remember Jesus said you're going to sow and you're going to reap and sometimes you're going to reap and sometimes you're going to sow. That reminds us in ministry that we serve alongside other people. Again, sometimes you're the sower and sometimes you're the reaper. And as I was thinking of those three examples that I, that I gave you earlier, you had the Samaritans, the Galileans, and the royal official. I was thinking of their upbringing, their religious background that I had mentioned. That it was their culture that kind of sewed into them this belief that there even was a Messiah. And that reminded me of children, the time that you spend maybe reading the Bible to your children, taking them to church, investing in them. Now, you may not see them ultimately. You may not be the one that leads them to the Lord, but you're building that up in their lives. I think of all the times my wife would read scripture to my children at night or during the day. Just reading the stories and putting it, building it into their, into who they are, their makeup, that there's Jesus and there's a Messiah and he's done all these things. And I always think of children's ministry, they do the same things. They build into the children, they build into the children. And I've told you this story before about my son, Jonathan. You know, he, and now if you don't know if you notice the little guy that's with them, the, that's our neighbor He's the friend that he was like telling the uh, the parables to, the stories that he learned in Sunday school. He would go out and talk to him about it and tell him about the good Samaritan. And he would even illustrate it by like falling on the ground and saying, you help him up. And eventually he invited his friend Christopher to church, and now he's coming to church. And that wasn't because I told him. That was the Sunday school teachers, you know, reaping or sowing into Jonathan, sowing into Jonathan. And then he sowed into this little boy named Christopher, and now... They're re, you know, we get to see Christopher coming to church, and maybe even his family will come one day. But that's the whole process that, you know, the Sunday school teachers, maybe not even a thought of a neighbor of a kid. So it's teaching our children scripture. And then not only that, living it out in front of them, that also is a part of sowing. Living out your faith, not just talking about it, but living out. People are watching you. Do these Christians really live out the things that they say they do? Remember, some of these guys had heard about Jesus. Now they saw Jesus. That was all sowing. So again, sometimes you sow and sometimes you reap. Maybe you will actually be that person that leads somebody to Christ. That's the reaping. Somebody sowed into them, sowed in them, and then you get to reap. And sometimes, this is the hardest part, sometimes we just have to sit and wait, right? We just sow and sow and sow, like me praying for my mom and dad for 20-some years, just sowing, 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 and and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. When are they going to get it? When are they going to get it? And maybe that's you with some people in your life. You're ministering to them. You're sowing into their lives. When are they going to get it? Sometimes we just wait. But I want to encourage you with this last scripture. Uh, It's in Galatians 6. Verses 9 through 10. I think it really illustrates this point altogether. It says this. Let us not lose heart in doing good. So that's that sowing. Don't lose heart in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's that sense of urgency. While we have the opportunity, do good to all people. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Apostle Paul here in the book of Galatians, it just kind of sums up all that we were just talking about. Don't grow weary in doing good. Sometimes you want to give up. I get it. Sometimes you don't see things happening or you see the wrong things happen in life. And you just want to give up. The Apostle Paul says, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we'll reap if we do not grow weary. It's tiring. Ministry is tiring. Serving in any capacity, even outside of church, is tiring. I get it. But don't give up because we're called by God to live in 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 a different way, to be an example. So don't grow weary in doing good. Not only that, and especially like this, to those who are in the household of faith. Sometimes we can treat people outside a church better than we do inside a church. The New Testament over and over again says that we need to take care of each other, the household of God, and then we'll take care of everybody else. When the world sees the household of God operating in one way, then they'll be like, that's a a witness, that's a testimony. Hmm, What's going on over there? Look how they serve each other. Look how they love each other. Look how they care for each other. If you read uh, in the first century, that's how the church grew. The Roman society saw the church loving women, loving children, burying their dead, which wasn't always done. I read this this study in sociology of how the early church grew, and that's what they had discovered, that the world saw the church acting differently than than their world that they lived in, and so that drew them to the church. That was a testimony. We need that again in our life. The world needs to see the church act like Jesus Christ and be drawn to it. So don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. And close with this. We find ultimate satisfaction. While we are in the middle of serving God, doing all this, we're going to find satisfaction because that is our purpose in life. We're called to serve one another. One of the things out on the church, right? Seek God. What's the next one? You're like, I pass by it all the time every Sunday. It says, seek God and serve others. That's what we're about. And share the gospel. Christianity is not about ourselves. It's about others. It's about God. It's about others. And that's what we're called to do. And that's how we find our ultimate satisfaction by serving others. When we're constantly looking at ourselves, we won't find satisfaction because nothing will satisfy us that we're trying to clamor for. It's only in serving God obediently. Because why? Because that's our purpose in life. We're called to serve God. And until you find your purpose in life, you will never ultimately be satisfied. Let's close in prayer. <coughs> Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, again, how it continues to speak to us today. And I pray, Lord God, that you have spoken to us as a church, that we would recommit our lives to continue to serve you passionately with a sense of urgency, with a sense of eternity. And Lord God, if there's anybody in this room who, as they heard this sermon, would realize, you know what, I'm not eating the right food. I'm not doing the will of God. I'm not living the life that he's prepared for me. I pray this morning that they would call out to you, that they would come home to you or return back to you, Lord God. And they will find ultimate satisfaction in the servanthood of serving you and serving others. I pray that you would comfort them, Lord God. And again, for those of us who have served you for quite some time and maybe sometimes get off track, get disappointed, disillusioned, and are tired and weary that we would be re-energized and focused on serving others for your glory and for eternity. And Lord, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, we have a short time on this earth. In a short time with all the people in our lives, let's serve with with commitment, with passion, with a sense of urgency and looking towards eternity.